Now, you probably don't remember your first words, but I bet if you're a parent, you probably remember your kids' first words. Our kids' first words were book and ball, and if you know my children, you probably know which uh, was who based on their personalities. But beyond those first words, as I think about children, there are a number of universal things that we teach kids to say very early on. We get excited when they learn mommy and daddy. And almost everyone who's a parent makes it a priority to teach their kids to say the magic words. Please and thank you, right? Please and thank you. Now, whether you're a parent or not, we've probably all heard the endearing sound of a small child who's just beginning to talk, who you know, says their peas or thank yous or however it comes out. And unfortunately, most of us have also endured the sound of a bratty, petulant child throwing a temper tantrum because they can't get what they want right now. So I thought about this. Why is, why is it that without being told or taught, we understand that teaching please and thank you, is really important. Why do, why do parents pretty much everywhere make this a priority? I admittedly was not a great uh, natural parent of toddlers and babies. In fact, Jen and I had a pact early on since I worked with middle and high school students. She was in charge until they hit the sixth grade, and now I'm in charge. I don't think I was fantastically gifted as a young parent, and yet no one had to tell me that this was important. I didn't need to read what to expect when they're toddlers. I just understood please and thank you were important. Again, why are please and thank you a big deal? If you think about it, there are numerous social interactions where we expect to hear these words. Sometimes we deem someone rude simply for forgetting to say please or thank you. So I've been thinking about why is it that these phrases seem to be so naturally, instinctively valuable? Well, the opposite of please is to demand, right? Please signals that you're requesting something rather than expecting it. Please is asking nicely rather than being that child that demands what they want. Many of us are taken back when we hear something similar to, give me that. We don't respond real well to that. Or somebody, maybe at work, just taking something of yours without asking. Again, you probably heard as a child, what's the magic word before you got something right? And you didn't get that cookie or that toy or whatever it was. Until you said please. Interestingly, this uh, I've done some reading on this. I read about weird things sometimes. But saying please actually forms social bonds, uh, even with complete strangers. It does something for the other person first and foremost, often sparking a sense of happiness or satisfaction without the person knowing it. Saying please makes others feel like they're respected, that they're worthy of your respect. You're validating them. And of course, once we've received something, 
unless we're crotchety, grouchy, or ungrateful, we follow up with thank you, don't we? Again, why? Because this expresses appreciation, gratitude, and respect. But that second phrase in particular, thank you, actually has enormous power for us as well. Its power is far more than what it expresses to others. In fact, this morning we want to consider the connection between our thank yous and our joy. Because forgetting your thank yous doesn't just make you rude or cantankerous. It actually causes us to miss out on the joy in life. So it shouldn't come as any surprise to us that we find this command to give thanks all over the Bible, like hundreds of times, to say thank you to God. In fact, in the Old Testament, in particular, this phrase appears again and again. For example, we find this phrase in First Chronicles, the Ark of God's Covenant has been brought to the city of David. There's a party going on. There's so much joy, in fact, that the king himself is dancing and celebrating. And in the midst of this sort of hymn that breaks out, we find this phrase that maybe you're familiar with. It's, this is First Chronicles 16. It's, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. We, we sing songs with this phrase in it. Uh, that phrase appears a number of times. And if you notice, this isn't just giving thanks for something God has done, but it's giving thanks for who God is. This is a thanks that's beyond circumstance. In fact, this is a thanks, as we'll see, is sometimes in spite of or in the face of circumstance. So let me ask you, what's the most recent thing that has caused you to throw your hands up in the air? Think about that for a second. When's the last time you did this or this or this or what what's the last thing that's caused you to throw your hands up in the air hopefully it wasn't another driver on the way to church this morning uh you know as i think about that it can be excitement right it's fascinating how at a sporting event when the home team does something great people reflexively don't they jump up and throw their hands in the air and celebrate i was at the ducks game a better one than last night a couple weeks ago against washington state And it seemed perfectly acceptable that people I've never met when they would score would jump up and give me high fives. Seemed normal, even though as I think about it, that is kind of weird. We throw our hands up in excitement, but we also don't we throw our hands up sometimes in frustration. In fact, it was at that same football game that I will admit a few times my hands went up because I may have disagreed a couple times with the decisions that those guys in striped shirts were making. But we also throw our hands up sometimes in fear or just in joy. Like when we unexpectedly come upon a friend that we haven't seen in a long time, this is a natural response, right? Come give me a hug. Our hands express those things. Again, what makes you throw your hands up? I ask that because that word for give thanks that we find in First Chronicles and about a hundred other places in the New Testament. In Hebrew, it's yada. It's not yada, yada, yada. It's yada. And the root of this word, by the way, is hand. And yada, in its, its most basic meaning, is to throw up your hands or to extend your hands. It's like that high five. It's this reflexive response. 
giving thanks in a biblical sense is more than just remembering to say something, to say your thank you. It's a celebration. And this word actually describes what giving thanks looks like. In Nehemiah 12, for example, this amazing scene, the walls of Jerusalem have been rebuilt in the city that was once complete devastation. It's beginning to return to life. And so what do they do? They, they bring Levites and priests from all over. This is a city that is still very incomplete, but they have walls. So they bring these priests, these Levites, and they're singing, and there's cymbals crashing, there's harps, there's lyres, lyres, however you say that instrument. I still have no idea what that is, just to be honest. And they position these leaders all around the walls. Nehemiah has these two large choirs who are facing each other up on the walls. And they yada. They give thanks. They celebrate what God has done. And this isn't a simple, thank you, God. This isn't being polite. This is an all-encompassing response, a celebration of God's goodness. It's loud. It has movement. That's Yadah. That's give thanks. In Psalm 9, David writes this. He says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all of my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. I would pause there for just a second. When we think about evangelism and why that's so hard for us to do, to be perfectly honest, I think it has everything to do with our joy. Because when you're excited about something, you can't help but talk about it. It's, it's not this thing we're supposed to do. It's a reflexive response, much like worship. He says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all of my heart. I will tell of all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praises of your name, O Most High. Again, this isn't quiet or reserved. When you read the Psalms, this kind of excitement is all over the place. This is a celebration Again, of who God is and what God has done. In this case, David is writing this even as he's praying and asking for God to act. I will give thanks. I will give thanks is the picture of this. Interestingly, one of the other Hebrew words that's often found alongside that word, yadah, which again means to give thanks, is a word you may have heard, it's halal. Uh, it, to praise is what that obviously or oftentimes gets translated at. But what it means specifically is to commend or to boast or to shout. Again, it's not a quiet phrase. To shout. In places like First Chronicles 23, we find the Levites praising, that word halal, God morning and evening. And this isn't quiet. This is a daily celebration. That's what giving thanks oftentimes the scripture looks like again psalm 107 it opens with that familiar phrase give thanks to the lord for he is good his love endures forever again we give thanks this is celebrating who god is and what he's done but notice um, a little later these two words come together and you sort of get this idea of motion and noise let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, that's the stretching of arms, and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him 
and the counsel of the elders. This is noise and this is motion in this picture. To say thank you to God, to give thanks is to celebrate God, to celebrate who God is as well as what God's done. Again, Psalm 111, another example, opens with, by the way, this is not praise the Lord. There's an exclamation point there for a reason. It's praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Again, this this halal, this praise is often a loud action. I will give thanks with my whole heart. It's this reflexive response, much like raising our hands in excitement. This isn't a reserved notion at all, but rather a pure celebration. That's what giving thanks is again and again and again. In the Scriptures, it's not just good etiquette. It's this heartfelt response celebrating God. To give thanks to God is an action of appreciation and gratitude for who God is. And it's a celebration. And this isn't something we can manufacture. It's not something that's mechanical. This isn't about being charismatic. This is a response with our whole heart. And celebrating can look different for different people. But this is our whole body, our whole being involved. More than our mouth. And as I think about it, those same reasons that we have that we often raise our hands, whether it's excitement or frustration, fear, joy, even surrender, when we realize who God is and God's faithfulness towards us, each of those things, in fact, gives us reason to give thanks. In fact, our arms moving can be a reminder, right? A really good one of when my arms start to move, oh, how do I give thanks here? In my excitement, I can give thanks for God's graciousness. In my frustration, I give thanks for God's faithfulness and that God is bigger than what I am facing. In my fear, I give thanks for God's loving kindness and mercy and care. In my joy, I give thanks for God's goodness that I see at work. I don't just say a half-hearted, well, thanks, God. I give thanks with my whole heart when in each of these situations I'm able to remember who God is and what God has done. So I thought about why does this not always happen? It isn't just lack of sleep or energy or excitement. It's because we don't remember. We fail to remember who God is and what God has done. The giving thanks doesn't come without the remembering. And the remembering, I would argue, is the result of a spiritual discipline or disciplines at work in us. And one in particular that I think is helpful for us to consider as a church is the discipline of celebrating. The discipline of celebration which leads to joy. By the way, joy is is all over the story of Jesus. We're about to celebrate Christmas. How does that story open? Listen to the words of Luke 2. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring what? I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That's the opening of the story. Why? Because he says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah and the Lord. It's interesting that even in Jesus' last moments, as he's preparing to go to the cross, literally about to be arrested, he's with his disciples. And in John 15, what's his concern? He says this. He says, I've told you this. Why? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's interesting. Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's worried about their joy. In places like Nehemiah 8, we read that the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's a weakness in us when we lack joy, when we lack the ability to celebrate who God is and what God's doing. And so here's what we need to recognize this morning. Here's what I hope you'll understand. First of all, this. Joy doesn't happen to us. Joy isn't something that happens to you. Joy isn't the result of circumstances. I remember one of the most profound things I was told as a high school student by a guy who was actually our youth pastor here. I was in the depths of despair, probably over some girl. And he said, you know, Aaron, happiness is a choice. It isn't something that happens to you. And even more so, joy is that way. It's, It's something that comes from within. It's not something that comes from outside of us. Joy, in fact, is the result of a discipline of recognizing and thanking God for who God is and where we see God at work. Joy comes from regularly thanking God. Again, it's more than using a golden word. It's nothing less than celebrating a God who's present and at work in our lives, which so often it's easy, isn't it, to forget. This joy comes as a result of of celebrating, of giving thanks which, by the way, is what sets us apart as followers of Jesus. We don't have to be hopeless because of politics. We don't have to be hopeless when the economy takes a downturn or a relationship breaks or whatever it is. We can have joy in all things when we remember to give thanks, when we remember who God is and God's faithfulness to us. Rather than hopelessness, we can celebrate God, even in the face of these things. It doesn't mean that life isn't hard. It means we've learned to see beyond the circumstances. To give thanks, to remember, to celebrate God. And that's what leads to that strength-giving joy that sets us apart as those who follow Jesus. So as I've thought about this, there's a pesky question that I'm not sure I like a lot, but it's, am I marked by joy? Are you marked by joy? As I've thought about this question, I've come to be reminded that almost all of the sort of sage-like wisdom voices, people who like, you know, they're on a first name basis with Jesus, like they're marked by joy. There's something about that. I wonder this morning, are you marked by joy? Is that what the people around you see? Is that what the people around me see? 
not because of a bubbly personality trait or something that's faked or forced or because it's going really good, but this joy that's at the core of our being. Good news is if you're not sure or it's a no, that can be changed. See, joy begins with that magic word, thank you. Joy is the result of a life of thank yous, of celebrating who God is and what God has done on a daily basis. It's a practiced discipline that leads to a life of greater peace and freedom. Now, we can't say thank you if we don't first stop and recognize who God is and what God's done. God is the creator of every good thing. Everyone. God is loving. God is long-suffering. God is merciful. God has expressed His love towards us in Jesus Christ, who took our sins upon the cross, who took our shame, who took what we deserved, and gave His life. Yeah, Jim's throwing his hands up. I appreciate that, Jim. Like, that's, that should, you know, make the hands move a little bit, right? Like, Jesus gave His life to take our sin, our shame. Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus who came to give life and give life to the full, defeated the power of death itself. You're starting to move a little bit. And offers to us by faith complete and total forgiveness. And a life of freedom in this new relationship with God. Who again is the creator of everything. This is good news. That's why it's called good news. That's what the gospel means. This is worth moving our hands a little bit. It's worth getting a little loud sometimes. It's worth a life of continual thanks, isn't it? But even more, God continues to guide us. God continues to help us. God continues to care for us, to save us, to love us through everything we face. Paul writes that nothing Nothing, that's a strong word, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. By the way, I want you to hear his words. Paul has just written about our shortcomings, about suffering that comes in this life when he writes this. This is in Romans 8. He says, knowing all these things, just talked about suffering, we are more than conquerors. How through him who loved us. He goes on and says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever you face right now cannot separate you from God's love. That's really good news, isn't it? We have every reason thanks in any and all situation, friends. And it's a discipline. So if you'll allow me, I'd love to share some thoughts on how this discipline of celebrating, of giving thanks can be nurtured and developed. 
Again, sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, this is more a discipline than a feeling. But it can be nurtured. If you've got something to write with, I'd encourage you to take it out because these are things that I find really helpful. Very practical ways to develop and nurture a life of thanks and celebration. By the way, most of these are not that complex. Set aside 15 minutes each day to simply thank God for everything you can think of. Sounds like you couldn't go for 15 minutes, but you can. You know, this is one of those things that could radically change your commute. Because you might be stuck in the car for 10, 15 minutes a day. What if when you got in the car, instead of having that, you know, because you're in a hurry and that guy merged in front of you or whatever it is, we learned to practice I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for, and choosing to give thanks. I think that would radically change your commute. Um, Here's a really basic one that I find helpful. Begin each day by giving thanks. Each day is a gift. When I wake up and my heart's still beating and my lungs are working, it's a gift. So I would challenge you with this for this week. Make it your goal that before your feet hit the floor, you give thanks. I think you'll see that your mornings feel a little different. And then on the other end, whatever has happened during the day, learn to end the day by giving thanks. Find a reason, because sometimes it's hard. But make it a choice to give thanks. Here's another one I like. When your body is reacting to something, that's like a cue, right? If I feel my hands moving, if I feel myself, that's a reason to stop and give thanks. I hope that's helpful for you, because sometimes we need those cues uh, to remember a new behavior. And this is a really easy one because I think most of us have arms and we have bodies. If that body starts moving in response to something, that's a reason to stop and say, thank you. Thank you, God. And practice that one. Give thanks to and for others regularly. Now, I'd say this. We can learn, it is not beyond us, to learn to to use anger and frustration and impatience as cues to give thanks. In the same way we can do that with our bodies moving, when we feel those things rising, through practice we could learn for those to be cues to stop and give thanks and to replace grumbling or whatever it is, discontent, with a heart of thanks would challenge you to see how that changes your interactions with people. And by the way, just the practice of giving thanks to people is a powerful thing. Here's one of my favorites. Spend time in wonder over God's creation. I was going to say go out and look at the flowers, but it's going to be a few months, right? You can learn just to notice in fact, I've learned this is a powerful thing. I have a friend who's really into birding. i sorry if you're into that. I still think it's kind of nerdy. Thank you, Greg. Greg's with me. But here's the thing. You learn to listen. 
fact, one of the things that Joshua has taught me, taught me is that almost always you hear the bird before you see it. And I've learned to hear hummingbirds from like 100 yards off because I think they're really cool. I didn't know I could do that. When we'll just stop and listen and look, it's amazing what is around us that reminds us of God's beauty and creativity and goodness. So whether that's hiking Spencer's Butte, looking out your window, make that a practice. So just, just take a moment and just look around and see that God is good. Serve others and practice generosity. Practicing this helps you value it and notice it when you receive it. And then we can't overlook this. Pray for joy. Galatians tells us that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a result of God at work in us. Again, the people that I have known who I would say are like the spiritual giants sort of that I look to, every single one of them is marked by joy because it's a fruit of God's Spirit at work within us. And then, you know, we sing on Sunday morning, but I would say worship outside of Sunday morning. Gary, I think it's so cool that you translate songs from German and you enjoy that and you find worship in that. I think it's so cool that our students last couple weeks in talking about worship have learned to use their phones. They use apps like uh, Spotify, right? And to look for worship tunes. That's what our students are doing. It's pretty cool. And whether you have a voice like a frog or a voice like an angel, the same stuff we do here together on Sunday morning can be a part of your week as well. And it might be listening to it, it might be singing, but it might also just be worshiping God sitting still with a cup of coffee, looking at what's in front of you in your backyard. But make it a point to worship outside of Sunday morning. And then I'd say this, learn to celebrate. Learn to cut loose. Make a bit of noise. You know, one of the interesting things in the Old Testament is this rhythm of these feasts these celebrations that were a required part of being the people of God. And they weren't a somber, solemn thing. They were parties. God commanded his people to regularly have a big party. I think that's pretty awesome, by the way. I think we overlook that or maybe minimize that. And sometimes, especially those of us who are a little more stoic, might miss that there is value and, in fact, I would argue a command to celebrate, to throw a party, learn a little bit of woo-hoo sometimes, you know. When James writes, consider it joy when you face trials, this isn't about putting on a good face. This isn't about something you do in the moment even. It's only possible through this disciplined life. It's the only way it's going to happen on a regular basis. And friends, the trials are going to be there. They don't go away. And yet it is 
possible when those things happen to face them and to respond to them with joy when we have cultivated the discipline of recognizing God and the way God's at work and giving thanks and celebrating that. So I would say this. May you be people marked by joy. May you learn to celebrate a little more. And may thanks come from your lips quickly. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for every good thing that we enjoy. God, we thank you that our trials are not beyond your ability or out of your sight. We thank you this morning that we can trust you. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you that you haven't given up on this world, but you're, in fact, in the process of restoring all things. God, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to partner with you in loving your people. And we thank you that we're still growing in Jesus. That we aren't done. That there's more to learn, there's more to celebrate, more to discover. A greater obedience and a greater joy. God, we thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. We would pray this morning that you would, by your Spirit, develop within us a greater heart of gratitude and thanks and celebration. God, we ask for the discipline to make these things a priority and to grow in them. We pray this morning that you would take whatever anxiousness or grumbling or worry or frustration or concerns we have. May we offer those to you and respond with thanks. And now we ask by your love that you would lead us towards a life of greater joy in Christ as we learn to better recognize you at work, both in and through us, and give thanks. Amen.